Randomly with Ronnie Jr. All right, so we're going to jump on a quick bite of sorts. The reason I say that is because Quibi is something a lot of people are talking about. Matt Rogers, you have something to say about Quibi. You've got a show that it feels like, although things are quick and the bites are quick, I feel like you've been working on this project for a very long time. I want to know about your podcast too, but first give me a Quibi. What the heck is Quibi and what is your show about? So Quibi is um, just a new platform that's, uh, mobile only. It's on your phone. You can't like um, get it on TV or anything, but it is legit television. So basically what the way it was pitched to me when I decided to do my show there was they were kind of saying they wanted to do what HBO did for television, like bring like premium cinema quality entertainment to from film to TV. They want to do that for mobile phones. So basically it's seven to 10 minute episodes of um, uh, scripted content, unscripted content, and it's like just television series on your phone. So my show is on there too. It's called Game Show. Um, me and my dear friend Dave Mazzoni hosted. We take two straight male contestants and put them head to head to see which one of them will be named honorarily gay as fuck. So um, <laughs> they compete to be named uh, Queen of the Straits and okay. reign with that title. So basically it's in about eight minutes an episode we have two contestants they go through three rounds and one of them emerges victorious felt g-a-y-m-e show so you get it now you get it and, I, and the concept is fantastic but also matt it's a concept that's been going on prior to quibi like quibi's where we're sort of going to see it uh you know more of it and very polished yes basically the show was a live show for about three years um and we did it coast to coast we started at ucb east in new york and then we uh, brought it over to LA and did it a couple times there. But it was a live show for about three years. And Quibi, actually, people that were working at Quibi came to see the live show. And they um, had us in for a meeting. We had been pitching it around to different networks. And what really struck me about Quibi was they were kind of like, we love what the show is. We love that it's like very much from you guys. It's your perspective. It's extremely queer, the content. Um, we don't feel like we want you to change anything. Just do what you do, but make it seven to 10 minutes. And we were like, okay, amazing. So it was really kind of, not only did they buy the show and said, make the show and here's the money to make the show, but they were really cool about um, letting us be us when we made it, which was pretty rare in the entertainment industry. Usually they come along and take your ideas and by the time it gets to television, it's some version of what you wanted it to be, but it's not exactly what you hoped. This is exactly what we hoped. And um, right. that's what's so time, great. Translation from stage to tiny yeah. screen is good. No, by the time it gets morphed, like, you know, and all the suits read it, it's like Mario Lopez is hosting yet again. I mean, it's a I lot. Know, right? so yeah. I'm glad I was like, we're going to host this show, P.S. And they were like, we wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, yeah. How do you and Dave know each other? You said that's a UCB thing to originate? We from college. So we met in college. We did um, uh, theater and comedy together in college. And then it just is a lasting friendship. We met like, um, uh, like most, like a lot of gay men meet, which we dated for a short time. It didn't work out, but became lasting friends. And I think we were just looking for something to do together that felt specifically like the two of us. And something that we love is um, 
you know, to pick on our straight male friends and say like, yeah. oh, you wish you were part of our community. And so we thought, why don't we put two straight guys on stage and see which one can, uh, you know, prove their allyship the most. And it's really been fun to watch men, straight men, compete to be called something I was afraid to be called growing up. You know yeah. what I mean? To be called gay as fuck would have been like the worst thing ever when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, even my early twenties, you know, you're, you're, even though I was out, it's still, it's, it's only new. It's only a new concept that's like a gay friendly world. And in so many parts of the world, it's not. So um, it, it's been kind of interesting to see it flipped on its head where all of a sudden these straight guys who are always usually the majority are now playing in the minority and trying to be called something that's been an insult that they probably used against us at some point. That's interesting, and I think it is an open space for both types of viewers, you know, the gay community, the queer community, because, yes, I can recall that kind of thing where it's like behavior modification all through your adolescence. Even when you get, yeah. even when you get to a stage, you still things, like, mess with you. Yet, and I could just go down a laundry list of, like, roommates, straight roommates that I've had, they would be more comfortable in their own skin. And I remember feeling that, especially when I moved to New York, it was like, that duality of us all being able to talk about such similar things, but yet our lives are way different. I had always yeah. been quite fascinated by that. And all my roommates were those kind of guys that were like, I, there was no resistance on what I said. I said, whatever, just like they said, whatever. And when I saw your concept, I was like, Oh, that's, that's kind of like a cackle that I've already had. Um, right, oh, right. How long did know, that show? Go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's, um, it's like a privilege to be able to say and do whatever you want. And so to watch these guys interact in a space where it's like, oh, um, this isn't revolving around me. It's revolving around other people and watching them kind of scramble. Like what I, what I always say is like, I've seen over, I've seen upwards of 20 Super Bowls. So like, <laughs> you can tell me who Dua Lipa is. Like at least give right. me that, you know what I mean? So it's been kind of interesting um, just to see them interact in a world where um, they're not the number one most catered to entity. Oh. I like that is true because I remember telling one of my friends I'm like okay I've been your wingman like 152 times you could go to boxers with me like you could like right. you, could, you could do me that favor tell me about how long I want to get back to Quibi but how long was the show going as a live show before it went to I guess was Quibi called a network basically or I mean, it's a network it's a platform um, and I, the live show was going on for about three years and then we were probably pitching it um, for you know three to six months before it really solidified with Quibi. Um, on the Quibi version of the show, uh, if I wanted to like sort of go back and like on demand, who would be some of the talent I'd see on, on this version? On the game show on, on Quibi? Um, so it's Dave, Dave Mazzoni and I host every episode. I mean, we've got amazing people. We have Alana Glazer. We've got Bowen Yang, my co-host from Los Culturistas. We have Bob the Drag Queen, Trixie Mattel, Rachel Bloom, Jill Kim Booster, Nicole Byer. Mm. Um, All the heavy hitters. All the girls. Great people, and they're all, all my friends too. Patty Harrison, Brendan Scannell, um, you know, and they're all people that are very dear to me and uh, not even just as a fan, but many of them have been friends. And so it was a really cool um, excuse to get people from my community and people that I came up with in this out on stage alongside, you know, major LGBT celebrities. Um, so it really felt like... Uh, cool opportunity to do what I've always done, which is try to bring my friends up with me because um, they've done the same for me. And just, it's really fun to be able to write a list of people that you want on the show because they're your friends and have Quibi say, yeah, all these people are great. We're down with it. And, and on, on your court. Yeah, um, on, on your court and on your, 
on your accord and the way you guys wanted to do it, keeping the integrity of it. Um, question though, because yeah. I think he, I think Bob the drag queen is one of the best. If they did an all star season, do you think Bob would win? You know, I think if they did like an all winner season, um, I think Bob would be very competitive for the win because there's no one smarter than Bob and no yeah. one funnier than Bob. Um, and I also think Trixie would be very competitive in that season. I mean, you know, I am always going to side with the people that think the fastest and yeah. no one thinks faster than Bob the Drag Queen. I was going to Bob's shows in New York at Barracuda Lounge on Monday night uh, at midnight um, when he would do his shows and truly the funniest comedy show in New York City. And I saw a lot of comedy in my 10 years there. So, yeah. and, really and I don't say that, I don't say that as a knock to the other winners. I just think Bob would like play the game still, dig in deep, you know, and it just, I, there's something very special in the fact that you co-sign these Barracuda moments and yeah. even, yeah. But, I mean, Bob is a talent. I, the thing about Bob is he has star quality and it's, it's so evident. Like when you watch him, I remember going to, to his shows and one day Bob was not coming in and uh, we knew exactly where Bob went, you know, like the excuse wasn't oh, right. up. Um, to where it couldn't cover up the fact that uh, he was going to drag race. And I remember when all of our friends that I, that I would routinely go to Bob's shows with realized that he was going to drag race, I think there was not a question in our mind that he was going to win. And to see him win was really exciting. And that was a strong season. I mean, Kim Chi was mm -hmm. phenomenal. So definitely had some competition and was the rightful deserving winner for sure. I feel like if there's a sibling rivalry podcast, like when the new episode hits, I, I, I need to watch it or listen to it. Which is right there along with Culturistas, which had a brief break, but it's back for good or just reshifted or what, what happened? Back for good. It's back for good. Um, we got on a new network. We're on iHeartRadio now. And, uh, you know, they were really great about figuring out a way to make Bowen and I's schedules both work because Bowen obviously is in New York for the uh, indeterminate future. He's a cast member <laughs> on Saturday Night Live. And I moved out to L.A. to pursue my um, opportunities here, including game show and the shows I'm writing for. So they were really great about putting our schedules together. And, um, we're really committed to doing new episodes. I mean, we just released new episodes with, again, Nicole Byer, Gabe Liebman, uh, Jimmy Fowley, A. Bryant. And, um, we just actually released a new one with Angle Wodum from, um, SNL too. So wow. okay. I'm super excited about the podcast that has new life. It's very funny. It's very funny when I found it. I wasn't one of the early people, I will admit to you, but when I found it, it was like one of those ones where I need to be in on these conversations. I, to be honest, I was a little late and I'll be embarrassed by saying it, but I had no. to listen to this one. I was a, gosh, I sound so late to the game, but I'm gonna tell you, Julie Klausner was my show. That was the first one, because I follow her ridiculously loved all three seasons of, seasons of Difficult People. Of and I must have seen her like put it on IG or something. Oh, yeah. We'll take a look. Julie's, thing. Julie's so great. That was a really fun episode. I really felt like, um, you know, uh, she loves the gays and she loves the gay culture and she loves the references. And so she really just gets it. And it's really fun to have someone on the podcast that you can really know is going to know every single pop culture reference. And, She's yeah. just a deep well of knowledge. She's like an encyclopedia. So, yeah. And she's also so funny, and I respect her so much. Um, and she actually, at the time, had been writing on a show with Bowen, so they became close friends okay. and uh, was really happy to get to know her. I've always been a fan. What brought you and Bowen together originally? Um, was it podcast first or friendship first? Or 
Friendship first. I mean, we've been friends since college, very similar to how I met Dave. And we've been friends since like 2008, 2009. So this is like a 12 year friendship that I have with Bo and we've been best friends for almost a decade. So uh, the podcast kind of just came up again, sort of like similar with Dave. I mean, I wanted something to do with Bowen and Bowen and I know we have a very special rapport. And so we were going to put that into the podcast, never thinking anyone would listen to it, really just doing it because we wanted an excuse to like hang out for 90 minutes a week. And, um, you know, we called it Las Culturistas because that was the dumbest name we could think of. We created the segment, I Don't Think So Honey, because it was the easiest segment to think of, and it was based on something we would say to each other. So, you know, one thing led to another, and through word of mouth, people started listening, and then we did the live show, and it really kind of popped off. And I think it's just, you know, I credit two things. I think it's really hard work and, you know, really pounding the pavement in New York for so long that you meet a large community of people that you can have on the podcast. And people seem to really enjoy having a glimpse into the world that is like up and coming New York comedy. And also, um, you know, just having those people on the show to, to kind of show off their really unique senses of humor. I mean, we're only as good as the guests that we have and we have the best. I mean, I think about our very first episode where we had a guest was Anna Dresden, who's now one of the supervising writers at SNL, one of the funniest people yeah. ever. So I think about the fact that our instincts have always been pretty right when it comes to we should have this person on there about to blow up. And I mean, I literally started co-hosting it with Bowen Yang. So <laughs> it's been pretty cool. It really was that like you guys would do all the fun stuff too, like the coven you would do, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd read Ariana Grande if she needed to be read or even Agilator if she needed to be. But it was really that when I started listening, obviously Julie Klausner was my intro to it. But then after I started going back to the older episodes, it really was like these guys have cut their teeth on and had so many projects that maybe would have went, but maybe didn't. And yeah. you knew that the guests had that same credibility. And like you're saying, now you're seeing them, them explode. What was it? What was it like? Because I believe you were on hold for SNL as well. Um, what, was was. That, what was that like when Bowen sort of gets on the writing staff and then gets the big, you know, headline? Um, and he's a best friend, but what, does that also like put some pain that you didn't get to join him in that experience or does it feel okay? I think that it's as complicated a situation as it sounds, you know what I mean? Like not only was it, um, me not getting a quote unquote dream of mine, but it's having to see your best friend get that. And as proud as you are of that person, it also comes with a deep sense of envy and because no one's perfect you do get a little jealous and then you're angry at yourself because you um, didn't do well enough or you're frustrated because you feel like that's, you know, the one thing that really was meant for you. But then as you sort of wade through those emotions, you realize that it's one job, it's one opportunity in a world that presents many, many, many. And ultimately I look back on that and I just think, wow, how lucky I was. And how rare it is to get that opportunity to even do that, let alone two times. Um, but also to know that they've made the best decision they could ever make, which is to put Bowen Yang on the show. He's so deserving and he's doing such an amazing job. And of course he is. So yeah. everything worked out the way they were supposed to work out. And I'm endlessly proud of him and proud of myself for um, being there. Um, just wrapping things up, I like to really chat about like successes and setbacks because I think like people don't realize how challenging this industry could be and to thrive. Um, do you think of any other setbacks that were a challenge you want to speak on that you did overcome? I'm not saying 
getting on hold on SNL as a setback, but you know, to feel so close must hurt. Well, to um, not get that was tough. I mean, to be honest with you, it actually uh, was pretty interesting because, you know, when I was coming up in New York comedy from like age 19 to age 28, 29, I actually did well, you know, I succeeded at UCB. I got, I got um, named as a comic to watch by Comedy Central twice. I mean, I was, I went to Just for Laughs, New Faces Comedy Festival, which is a very coveted thing. And so I actually did pretty above average when it came to like garnering accomplishments and, you know, uh, checking every box. And I think that when I did not get Saturday Night Live, it kind of felt like, wow, it doesn't really matter that all these things happen. Like life can still take a turn. And so not getting that job when it looked like on paper, I quote unquote should have, um, I had like every prerequisite um, was very humbling and really set, took me back a second. And it just goes to show you have to be really resourceful. And so no matter what that setback is that you account, that you encounter, and so many people will, in fact, we all will encounter setbacks. I think that my advice would just be, you know, make sure that you're as well-rounded as possible because this is a very hard business <laughs> to succeed in. And I think yeah. it will be really tough to be, you know, just an actor or just a writer. I think that it's worth it to try to round yourself out as much as possible. If you're someone who um, wants to be a comedian, you know, and you're primarily an actor, take a class that teaches you how to write a, a, a pilot sample. If you're a writer, you know, maybe challenge yourself to get on stage every now and then. You never know. Because yeah. I think that's something that's really helped me is being well-rounded as a performer, as a writer, because this industry is tough and you do have to be able to say, well, you might not want me for this, but I also have this. Um, so making the space and really committing to doing this is hard and you have to make a lot of uh a lot of sacrifices and a lot of yeah uh, takes a lot of time um matt wrapping things up uh, so i did want to know if because i see that you're wearing your la hat now you're an la boy at the moment yeah. when you get so close to like an snl does that have like a reasoning to to say you know i'm gonna try things new in la or was la random completely different where, where did la fit into this equation you know, I was such a like hardcore New Yorker. I was actually raised on Long Island and I went to school at NYU and I always stayed in New York and I just got so comfortable there. And LA always made me very anxious. I, I think like um, it's so synonymous with the industry and succeeding in the industry and it's so all encompassing. And, you know, that's just one of the many reasons why LA is intimidating. And a move across the country is very intimidating when your entire family and all your friends are in New York. But then as I got a little older and I've been in the industry a little bit longer, I realized that, you know, it's a natural progression because once you have cut your teeth in New York and you've done so much there, you really, I found I reached a ceiling there and I was just ready for a change. Um, and so I really kind of just said, let's do it. And also to be totally honest with you, New York wasn't getting easier to live in. You know, the subway isn't getting easier. The weather, you know, doesn't get at twenty two. At twenty two, you're so down for all that. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? And then you realize, like, okay, life doesn't have to be this hard. And also, I can make maybe a little bit more money doing this. Um, yes. So what happened was, I went to Los Angeles to do pilot season um, for the first time, and then halfway through pilot season, I ended up getting a writing job on the show, the other two on Comedy Central. 
So that's kind of just goes to show you like, you oh, know, I love that show. That was funny. Yeah, these opportunities, thank you. These opportunities can come in any way, shape or form and you should be ready for it. So I'm really happy that I had a writing background when I was out there trying to do pilot season because I might not have gotten that job. I also think it's good as a performer too, to like give yourself, not that you ever needed it, but like that fish out of water concept in the sense that you said New York City was, was your place and you were getting these accolades, but your hometown was so close. And so maybe right. you need to sometimes like break that. I'm literally the opposite. Like I grew up near the Long Beach area in Southern California. So even though I lived in Studio City for all these years and worked in radio, et cetera, et cetera, uh, there was nothing like that first time I moved to Harlem and just felt like the exact same me, but like a totally different me. And it's really unexplainable. But Yeah, I mean, I even remember um, when I graduated high school, I was moving from Long Island to New York City, and I thought I knew what the city was going to be like, and it fucking chews you up and spits you out. I mean, it is crazy. New York is the hardest city in the world to live in. And if you can live there for <laughs> even over a year, yeah. um, you can do anything. I mean, L.A. is a cakewalk compared to New York City. There's no city in the world as big, mean, fast, loud as New York. And it's fucking hard to pay to live there. And I waited tables for a decade. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I was, I spent hours and hours and hours of doing things that I didn't want to do because I was committed to making my career happen. But that is what you got to do. That is literally the grind. And the best thing is you could always end up back there. You know what I mean? Like this career does allow so many changes. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And I would be open to it. I mean, like I, even just the other day, I had a conversation with my manager. She was like, would you want to do a writer's room in New York? And I was like, I'd be open to the conversation. Yeah. I mean, life is long. I love that city. I'm really enjoying where I am right now. And I, I uh, you know, I love the weather and, and the lifestyle, <laughs> but maybe for the right job, we could talk about it. I mean, throw the check, you know, where's the bag? As long as the check clears, we can have a conversation. Yes, honey. indeed. Uh, yeah. I, what is it? I don't think so. I think so. <laughs> I do think so, honey, checks. I don't think so, honey, no checks. Right. No more rats on the subway. I'm, I'm too grown for that. My yeah, last question, on, my last question on talent, just because you sort of came up with these people and it's so exciting to see them flourish. Um, I watch every episode of Sunnyside, even when it went to Hulu. And Joel Kim Booster is such a freaking awesome, I mean, his comedy as well, but like, I liked him in the sitcom. I really, really did. What are some, uh, as a personal account, what are some of the stories you have with Joel Kim Booster? Oh my God, I have so many fun memories with Joel. I mean, Joel is one of my sisters and he is someone I met about six years ago. I actually met him because he was doing a guest spot on Bowen's uh, variety show that he had at the time at the pit called Ethnic Realness. And I met a totally different Joel. I met Joel like before the body. I <laughs> met Joel like when he had long okay. snoopy hair. Um, and I knew him as like a playwright that I just moved from Chicago and was just sort of getting into stand-up comedy. Mm -hmm. And so I watched Joel just, you know, really blossom into such an amazing person. And he's such a close friend of mine. And he's such an amazing comedian with such a clear point of view. And I would say favorite memories of Joel. Um, you know, Joel loves his birthday. And he always has a big, big moment for his birthday. He's always like a blowout. And um, I would say Joel is synonymous for me with Fire Island. Lots of great times on Fire Island with Jolie. Um, but really just my favorite times with him are just hanging out, smoking weed and talking shit. 
He's fantastic. Like I said, I get in a little bit of a wormhole or what is that called? Where you just like want to watch one comedy special after the next, after the next. And he's so funny. And I, I mean, want all that success for him. Yeah. He actually is someone that if, if ever um, Bowen is unavailable for Las Coteries, that's I always call Joel. I mean, he and I also have our own little special chemistry as friends and we have a comedic chemistry as well. So I love him. I love him to death. I thought he was always funny, but the time that got me was when he did Watch What Happens Live, and he was sitting next to Kenya Moore, who I think is one of the best best housewives of all time, and he was like, this is the gay Super Bowl. So, like, stuff like that is really, you know, he's present in the moment. Very cool. Um, last person I want to talk oh, about, yeah. I, I wrap with everyone asking them, uh, say something positive or uplifting about J-Lo, because she is my queen. So, what's your J-Lo commentary? Well, I would say that was the biggest snub of the damn Oscar season was that that garbage came through and her name was not on the <laughs> final five because I watched Hustlers again and you cannot even tell me that that wasn't a performance that merited that consideration because absolutely it was. And then for her to, you know, bounce back from what that what had to be a huge blow to fucking destroy the Super Bowl in what I think was one of the best Super Bowl halftime performances of all time. And Was there a football game that day? <laughs> well, you couldn't tell me there was. It was a baseball concert featuring Shakira for sure. Um, they were both unbelievable. And I actually recently just watched Selena again, and she is she was deserving of a nomination for that. I think that was a Star is Born moment. And I literally, like recently actually watched Monster in Law, which I love, and I'm a J-Lo stan, and that woman, is, so. for me, she is an example of what hard work can truly achieve, and she truly came from, you know, she, I'm a six, baby, like, I've been a fan since the very beginning. Oh, yeah, do you remember? I, I, I absolutely stan. Do you remember the first music video, Adam Rodriguez from CSI Miami was in the, vid in the video? Was that for If You Had My Love? Yes. And I, yeah. I guess, I guess. Well, I'm, bro, I'm a stan. Like, I, I remember if you, I had it on the six, I would be, <laughs> I mean, I was living for No Mayamis. Like, I, I knew. Oh, her That was the original Mark Anthony and Jennifer oh. Lopez collaboration. Waiting for tonight, I said, she owns that green light. No one can do that green light except her. And when she came yeah. out of the Super Bowl and you saw that green light, you knew exactly what song it was going to be. And I live for her. Yeah. Super Bowl, I mean, she, it loud. I, oh, yeah. I always say Super Bowl, she had the nerve. She had the audacity. She had the gall. Like, to go on after Shakira, like, like J-Lo, like, I was a little nervous. But, you know, that's just her. She, she carries Those the are two of the best live performers in the it's world. so good. Sure. All right. And I also thought it was incredible, that show um, of the flag, of the Puerto Rican flag. Yes. And I, just such a moment. I mean, what a hero for her. Um, her her home country. I mean, that is. I mean, her home country is America, is United States. But you know what I mean. Like she yeah. was really showing love, and that was huge. Yeah. No. J Lo stand to J Lo stand for sure. I always talk about her. It's longevity. It's like you know, even thinking about like a Joan Rivers, like people who have career reinventions, and I think J Lo gives that. Um, I mean, no, J Lo is excellent. I mean, she is. She is excellence. Uh, no more of your time because I want to let you do your Quibi moments, but uh, real quick. So Quibi can be found basically downloaded on any app, the show. You download, it on, you download the app on your phone, real easy, and then you get access to everything. And the app is real easy to use. That, and, and of course, uh, Las Culturistas with Bowen Yang. Who's a dream uh, interview that you guys would like to have? Oh, wow. A dream interview for Las Culturistas. You know, that, that is so interesting. I mean, J-Lo. 
<laughs> J-Lo, baby. I would love to have JLo on and I could t- we could just exalt her. I mean, we, yeah. we have, her- um, and who knows? I mean, that I mean, JLo and Bone were on the same episode of SNL, so you never know. It's not right. like they're not, they've never been in a room together. <laughs> yeah. No, no, you're right about it. Um, great energy, man. Congratulations. I think the Quibi project is going to be big. And at the very least, I'm always following every Las Culturistas. So keep up the good work, rock that LA hat, and okay. take it to the limit. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. it. Thank you. Bye. Bye.